Standby. Hello, this is Penn Jillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the lackadaisical Librocubicularist podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I would potentially enjoy it. A ringing endorsement. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. Hello, welcome to the Liberal Cube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical Liberal Cubicalist. Today, my friends, is a podcasting day in which a podcast is recorded. You know what I think the problem is? <laughs> uh, I did 300 episodes where I would say, today is, and then I'd say, you know, Movie Monday, as an example. And now I have trouble not starting a podcast with, today is, even though it doesn't make sense to do so. So that's a little behind-the-scenes action into my brain. Action, perhaps being too strong a word. Something, I like to say, at the top of every show, pre-episode 300 and post-episode 300 is that there will be spoilers. That has not changed over the years, and I do believe it has been years, which is pretty interesting that I've been doing this for years now. Years! I'm like a veteran. A veteran of podcasting, if a thing is could be veteranized after only two years. I don't know. Another thing... I like to say, and have said quite a number of times, is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars, he says. Oh, no, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend, perhaps. You rate, subscribe, and comment within iTunes, as that is what helps podcast, and this is a podcast, so help. Please... Uh, that'll be it for the top of the show. I'm going to push a button, and that will get us started. Yay. Starting. Ladies and Today's movie monologue sponsor are, is Five Armies Gloves. This is, of course, gloves which represent each of the five armies from the movie The Hobbit, colon, The Battle of Five Armies. Uh, the thumb would be the dwarf. Uh, duh. Uh, the pinky would be the goblin, because it's sort of small and, and a little on the weak and kind of gross looking. Uh, the index finger would be an orc, because it's sort of leading and directing the forces of evil. Um, human would be the uh, ring finger, because the humans have nine of the special rings, as we all know. And uh, the elves would be the middle finger, because they're sort of a big fuck you to everyone else, the bastards. So, there you go. If you could not guess from that sponsor... Mm -hmm. Although the sponsor's not tied to anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the first movie I'm going to talk about is The Hobbit, colon, The Battle of Five Armies. Uh, what I did was, during the sort of renovation of my Mandan, which is similar to a man cave and similar to a Manden, but different because it's mine. So I call it a Mandan. 
while that was being uh, sort of set up by myself, and by that I just kind of mean putting my shit on the shelves, uh, I watched the first two uh, Hobbit movies, or I should say rewatched, and then uh, I did that in sort of preparation of watching this. So that, again, behind-the-scenes action <clears throat> is what that is, and I have given it to you. Hmm? Huh? Uh, anyways, this series as a whole, I think I have to go 5 out of 5, and that's probably not too surprising. Uh, I, I also give the Lord of the Rings series 5 out of 5, and to choose my favorite of the two, I think I would still stick with Lord of the Rings. But the interesting thing is, I'm not sure how much of that is the sort of nostalgia of watching those the first time when I was a much more impressionable youth uh, and had a greater impact than now where I'm 35 years old and love these movies, but are they as impactful in my 35 years as the Lord of the Rings movies are in my much younger years? I would, I would potentially say no. And maybe they're not quite as good, but still 5 out of 5. Um, this last movie... I think had an extraordinary amount of potential just for the fact that whenever I read and these are of course <laughs> it's kind of hard to say they're based on a book because they're not really uh, yeah like there was not this the the things that happened in the Hobbit movies compared to what happened in the Hobbit book are are, are like freakishly different to say it's based on a book. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's taking a uh, a world and then turning it into something that's better suited to a movie than it is perhaps to a book. So I, I, I'm not someone who says uh, one of those people who get freaked out that you take a book and then you change it for your movie. That that never bugs me, uh, as it does a lot of the the nerds out there. I'm not one of those nerds. I'm a nerd, yes, but not one of those. Uh, that particular f nerd flavoring is not a part of me. Uh, anyways, the potential is uh, is armies and fighting, where I didn't think, and perhaps it has something to do with the CGI, that they're not as easily able to. Uh, I, I want something like a... Uh, what's that movie? Uh, Saving Private Ryan, or a... A Braveheart, something like that, where you're really getting down, dirty, and gritty. Where here, the the scope of the battle is pretty incredible uh, from afar, but up close, you're not really seeing as much. So I think that's kind of a drawback when the people fighting, most of them are going to be CGI. You can't get in there as well as you can otherwise. Just throwing that out there. Uh, running out of time, so I got to speed into the next movie, which is called The Unbelievers. Mm, what is this, you might say? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, renowned scientist Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. Lawrence Krauss cross the globe as they speak publicly about the importance of science and reason in the modern world. Um... This is, I, I suppose, to be fair, a sort of preaching to the choir. <laughs> Pun intended, I suppose. Huh. It wasn't intended, but after I said it, it's a little intended. Preaching to the choir as far as um, anti-religion. Yeah, you, you know what? It's, you can't say in movies such as this about religion 
sometimes they are not quote-unquote anti-religion but this particular one i would say are like uh, richard dawkins and Lawrence krauss are saying religion is bad it is holding us back as a species um this is my sort of takeaway I, i don't know how much of this that they are trying to get across but i assume some um for us to proceed to our sort of next step uh, evolution-wise, and I don't mean physically, I, I mean next step as a species to sort of come together. We have to uh, abolish religion and any thoughts of uh, thoughts of not having reason. Yeah, thoughts of not having reason. <laughs> that doesn't really make sense, but 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 just the idea of not using the the world around us, the the facts that are proven to us to move forward uh, and sort of develop as as a species, as a whole. We've got to let things fall by the wayside that keep us back. Uh, we're very good at that a lot of the time, but when it comes to religion, uh, I think we're struggling to sort of uh, let this debris or debris fall by the wayside, uh, and it's going to take some time, but uh, I suppose we're making steps. Like, uh, to have talks such as Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss had uh, in front of people, <laughs> like even, I don't know, 50 years ago, 50, definitely 100 years ago, you'd probably be stoned or shunned. But now at least it's a little bit more out in the open. Uh, it's still, <laughs> I, I don't remember, uh, one, one sort of quote that sort of pops out at me is that uh, on average, on the globe, uh, and I'm going to make this number up because I don't remember what it was, uh, 20, 30, 40% of people are atheists. Um, within the, uh, the government, the elected, the elected government of the United States, there's only one person who's ever admitted to being an atheist, which just goes against all forms of what can be possible. So they're all basically lying. <laughs> because for some strange reason, they won't or at least they presume they won't get elected if um, they're seen as atheistic, which just boggles my mind. I wouldn't. I wouldn't vote for if I did vote. <laughs> I wouldn't vote for someone on the basis of their religion, other than if they said they were religious and really truly believed it. Uh, I would think they were insane and not vote for them. Other than that. Uh, just as a sort of final note in this movie monologue section, I re-watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Again, speaking of the Mandan, I uh, got a nice new uh, television set with 3D viewing capabilities. So for the very first time ever, uh, the missus and I watched a 3D movie from home. Hmm. Uh, it was an interesting experience. Uh, she said it gave her a headache. Um you know what? One of the bonuses, I suppose, of her not listening to this podcast is the fact that I could say I think it was all in her head. Uh, if she heard me say that, she'd probably kill me. So please, for the love of God, don't tell her I said that. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, amazing in any regards in 3D as well. Five out of five. Oh, the unbeliever, the unbelievers. I go three or four out of five. It wasn't as captivating and sort of. Uh, in your face as I was hoping it would I suppose is why I won't give it a higher mark Mm.
Today's television talk sponsor is Anthony Bourdain brand Hipster Repellent. Okay, I uh, have a new show, a new program that uh, I am quite a few episodes in of the apparently 20 episodes that there are in existence, and it is called The Layover. Uh, it stars, if such a thing happens in a reality TV, I suppose it does, uh, Anthony Bourdain, who if you are not familiar with, uh, that's too bad, because you're missing out on quality entertainment wherever he lays his hand, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, knew about him many, many years ago. I think my first experience, at least the one that sticks out in my head, is he used to have a show where he traveled around and ate things. Now, to be fair, all of his shows are that at their very essence. Uh, this particular one from many years ago was where he traveled around and ate things that were weird. Uh, and what I remember most is someone put a still-beating snake heart in this little dish, and he just gulped it right down. Probably not the type of thing that you would want to chew too much. He just swallowed it. Uh, I think he said he didn't feel too good after. Anyways, that show is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about a layover. The layover, rather. Uh, it's a show in which he goes to various cities and talks about them from the point of view of being on layover. So, for example, uh, you're stuck in New York City for 24 to 48 hours. What do you absolutely have to go and eat, and I suppose to a lesser degree do? It's mostly because he is a chef extraordinaire, apparently, uh, mostly from the point of view of what to eat, where to eat, who to eat with, uh, where to stay, how to get around town, but again, always sort of coming back to food. And it's sort of a very interesting way to go about it. The episodes I have watched so far, oh, it looks like I'm almost done season one. Um, Singapore, New York, Rome, Miami, Hong Kong, Montreal. Oh, and I've got Amsterdam about to come out. Uh, that'll probably be interesting for obvious reasons. I think out of the ones I've seen so far, uh, Rome was probably the most interesting because he met up with this, with this dude who was just seemingly insane, but maybe just Italian. <laughs> seemingly super Italian and seemingly partially insane. Uh... Anthony Bourdain hates, hates, hates... Well, maybe that's kind of why I like him. He hates a lot of things. <laughs> He's sort of a, a... Definitely acerbic is probably a word that you could use to describe him. Uh, oozing with a hatred of lots of different things in day-to-day -day life. And uh, not afraid to show it. Not afraid to show it in the sort of voiceover and seemingly not too afraid to voice it out loud during the actual taping of the show which I, I guess are kind of two different things. Anyways, uh, in Rome, talking to this guy, he said that uh, the addition of uh, pineapple to pizza is the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, basically. <laughs> and the guy, uh, he said no. Uh, and then just went on and on and on uh, that he could make a pizza that tasted good with pineapple. Now, the reason I like this is because as soon as he said all of that and then he went on and on and on about how he could do it, Anthony Bourdain says to him, have you ever made a pizza with pineapple? And the guy just looks, looks him dead in the eye and says, no. <laughs> uh, the amazing thing was when he did make the pizza, and I don't know if Anthony 
Bourdain just kind of said, okay, you know what, he, I don't want to break this guy's heart. He did say it wasn't that bad, so I don't know. Uh, Montreal, also very interesting, uh, being a Canadian. Uh, one thing I didn't like is that, uh, and this is coming from a non-Montreal living Canadian, is that uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain said, of Canada, that is the one city you have to visit. And <laughs> I think it's kind of funny, if you don't know a lot about Canada, uh, Montreal is sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, a totally separate country onto itself. A little bit, a little bit. So people living there don't like most of the rest of the country. And these are generalities, of course. And uh, people... Uh, not from Montreal, quite often don't like people from Montreal. So, I'm not saying I'm one of them. Uh, I have had some bad experiences with people from Montreal. I have had some bad experiences with people from Montreal. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. The show, uh, so far, really, really good. Uh, perfect, absolutely perfect Sunday relaxing viewing show. Just Five out of five, hands down. So, so, very good. Watch it. Conan, the librarian. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Book banter. Today's book banter sponsor is Dr. Julian Bashir Zeno gynecologist Zeno gynecologist mm. okay so I uh, thought it was time to give myself a little bit of a break in the old book department uh, break in the sense that the last book I read was uh, Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand which was not uh, as you say an easy read so uh, from time to time I like to throw in one of these uh, easy reads. <laughs> there you go, for lack of a better term. Uh, I do kind of feel that after reading them, or sort of during reading them, I feel a little dumb. But uh, you, you gotta sort of spread your wings. <laughs> and sometimes you don't have to. Uh, and that's how you fly. You know what I mean? Because I don't. Uh, so I read War Child by Esther? 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 Probably Esther. If it's spelled E-S-T-H-E-R, it's Esther. Like, it's the silent H, right? See, look, dumb. Uh, Freisner. F-R-I-E-S-N-E-R. Anyways, what Esther has written is a book called War Child, uh, which takes place in the Deep Space Nine uh, milieu. No, not milieu. Series. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a Star Trek book, is what it is. It's a book about Star Trek that takes place in the Star Trek universe, which occasionally I will like to visit for the reason that I'm a bit of a Trekkie. So to read a book that takes place within a universe that I care about, um, although not necessarily a, uh, a, a very, very sort of definition of good literature, is enjoyable. It, it's, it feels like uh, how when... I don't want to say a woman reads a romance, a sort of trashy romance no novel. Uh, occasionally I'll read a trashy sci-fi novel, uh, of which this is one. Um, this is the seventh <laughs> in the sort of series, if you want to call it. And they're all sort of independent 
um, books within this universe. So uh, within Star Trek Deep Space Nine, there's, geez, a lot, like 50 plus, something like that, a ridiculous number. And this is number seven. Uh, I will say, and I hate to do this to poor Esther because I'm sure she's listening, uh, this is the worst one that I've (laughs) read so far. And I think I've kind of learned my lesson a little bit uh, when it comes to these. Uh, And this is perhaps not nice to say about the actor who plays uh, Julian Bashir either. But uh, his episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine were usually not my favorite. They were kind of boring is is a word I might throw out. So to have a book where he is sort of the, the main character, I should have perhaps realized that... Uh, I might not find it as interesting as if it was about a character that I did care a little bit more about. Not only that, but it took place uh, primarily or of, which also sort of took away some of the enjoyment for the same sort of reason. Anytime there were uh, episodes that took place on Bajor or or were were Bajoran-heavy, I usually didn't care for those as much as I did other ones, so... Uh, it, it had its moments. The, the sort of story is that uh, uh, Dr. Bashir goes down to help solve a uh, outbreak, as he is a doctor, uh, and then he sort of gets pulled into the... the Not the intrigue. It, you know what it, it reminded me a lot of? When you hear of those people who uh, go to Africa and then see the how people are living and decide that they're going to sort of devote their lives to helping people in Africa, to, to moving there, to uh, living with them, to to trying to make their lives better. Th- that sort of idea. Th- that, that's what it felt like. Now, by the end of the book, he was back on Deep Space Nine, so I, I guess he didn't care that much. I don't know. Uh, and some of the strangeness of this is it verged into something I... It verged into something I didn't care for, and it was sort of a feeling of the mystic. Uh, That's another reason that I didn't always care for the Bajoran heavy episodes where, uh, if you know anything about them, they're very religious. (laughs) We've already sort of talked about this. So when you have a species that is, by and large, extremely religious, and then uh, you have within your... Then you have within your... Uh, within your universe... Uh, sorry, I keep getting phone calls. It's screwing me up. I forgot to put it in airplane mode. We uh, have in your Star Trek very scientific world, you have um, the introduction of mysticism and religion. Uh, I really don't care for that. So, another mark off. I'd probably go two out of five. Yeah, sorry. Sorry sorry that War Child by Esther, whatever your name is. Today's game, a Gabin sponsor, is Valiant Hearts, colon, An Idiot's Guide to Climbing Out of the Friend Zone by Franz Ferdinand. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so going to talk about, you guessed it, or perhaps you didn't, if you've never heard of this game, called Valiant Hearts, colon, The Great War. The Great War, 
can mean more than one war, but usually refers to uh, World War One. Hmm, there you go. So what do we got here? Typical uh, first-person shooter, World War One, shoot 'em up, uh, kill Nazis and stuff. Uh, no, <laughs> no, you don't. Not, uh, not really at all. There are Nazi deaths, I suppose. But uh, this game takes a much different approach than any I have ever seen, uh, and I assume any that anyone has ever seen. Uh, very sort of critically acclaimed. I do believe this book, this book, this video game, and uh, I think rightfully so in some regards. In others, uh, it has the feel of trying too hard to be critically acclaimed, if that makes any sense. Um, just sort of aiming at that idea of war is brutal and trying to tug at the heartstrings, but very purposefully, which uh, can sometimes come across as not as good. Uh, how would I describe this game? Very, very hard to describe. Um, cartoony visuals uh, blended with sort of very visceral and violent uh, not necessarily blood and gore, but explosions and and not necessarily outright death and destruction per se, but uh, it's always sort of at the very least perceived. Uh, you're traveling, I think 90% of the time you're traveling from left to right, so it's sort of 2D side-scroller as they would call that. Sometimes you're headed towards the screen and maybe I'll talk about that in a second. Um, or now. Uh, those parts are cool because it, it's always you're in a car and you're headed towards the screen, so it kind of really brings it back to uh, what were those? Not Banjo-Kazooie. Rayman. Uh, I can't remember that guy's name. He was like a orange in color. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so you'll be riding in a car towards the screen, going sort of super fast, and then things will be getting and you'll have to sort of dodge out of the way, which uh, sort of leaks into other areas of the gameplay. Uh, just has the feel of uh, an overall game tied together by uh, mini-games that you complete along the way. Yeah, a, a puzzle, adventure, mini-game, uh, World War One, <laughs> it's 2D side-scroller, it's just, it's got a lot going on, and uh, all done very, very well. You play as different characters, through, play as one character for a little while, and then move to another. And uh, overall done incredibly well. I'd probably go rating-wise... I'm going to say... It's kind of tough. Uh, I think I'd go 4 out of 5. Yeah, solid 4 out of 5. Potentially would even play again. It was It was that good. Uh, one thing I think they did uh, they did well was told the story of these three individuals uh, sort of from beginning to end and, and closed it full circle. You play as uh, a French woman, her uh, German husband who was forced to leave France uh, when the war started. And I believe it's the French woman's father. Uh, so you're playing all of these people over sort of the course of uh, World War One, how they are split apart from one another. There's, there's times when they're in POW camps. 
uh, and how they're eventually re reunited. I think my favorite part of this is something uh, that probably not many non-Canadians know. Oh, look at that. Bring it around to Canada again. Uh, that Canada was in the war. Uh, I think both. But I know definitely World War I uh, before the Americans and uh, lost a lot more, unfortunately for us, I guess, lost a lot more people than uh, the Americans did just because we were in the war for so much longer. So, uh, you know, kudos to Canadians for killing Nazis. Today's internet intercourse sponsor is Admiral Argyle's Anti-Aging Almond Extract Exfoliant. Thank you so very much for sponsoring this internet intercourse in which we will intercourse, which means talk, get your mind out of the gutter about things from the internet. Things such as Watch Mojo. Watch Mojo. Uh, I actually can't remember if I've brought these back, uh, mentions my, uh, my, my like of this YouTube channel. Uh, basically it's a YouTube channel mm -hmm. in which, uh, they will add a shit ton, just like an unbelievable, how are they making so many of these lists every day? Top 10 lists of various things. So uh, I, I brought back a couple, looks like three for us to talk about. Uh, okay, so uh, the first one I watched was Top 10 Movie Soundtracks. Uh, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, I think it should have been perhaps as high as number one, but uh, but definitely on the list, and it was, so uh, <laughs> it was nice to see that. Uh, movies and soundtracks, uh, I think, are just sort of vitally important and can make or break I don't know if it could break a movie, but can make a mediocre movie amazing. Uh, another one that sort of appeared on this list that's always whenever I hear songs from the movie sort of really, really pull me back, and that is uh, Dazed and Confused. Uh, just an incredible soundtrack. And despite the fact that I grew up in the 80s and 90s, it's kind of weird to watch that movie and feel like, yeah, man, I remember days like that when it took place in the, uh, whatever, 60s, 70s. So, there you go. Uh, top 10 violent movies. Uh, had Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, did I combine them? Uh, anything Quentin Tarantino deserves to be in any top 10 list, uh, especially to do with violence. Sure, I can get that. I forget what the other ones were, and I didn't write them down. So, why not head over? And check those for them for yourself there. Uh, top 10 fantasy books. So uh, you could see that these top 10 lists, very, very sort of pointing in my direction. And uh, that is, I guess, the beauty of them putting out just so, so friggin' many of them at once. Is that you can sort of pick and choose. Like, I don't I don't watch every single top 10 list they put. Like, I don't watch the top 10 most romantic comedies or stuff like that. There's... But when I do see one I, I like, like fantasy books, I'm going to probably check it out. Uh, this had on uh, Terry Pratchett, and it had, um, uh, sorry, The Wheel of Time from Robert Jordan. So two of my favorites right there. I forget what else it had. It had Harry Potter, which 
Uh, they're good. Do they deserve to be on the top ten? They're definitely not in my top ten of fantasy books that I've ever read. Oh, is it books or serieses? I think it's serieses. Uh, so there you go. You know what? Uh, let's, because I feel like I don't do it enough and feel like doing it now, try, make the attempt, that is, to get a little audience participation from you. Uh, send me either a movie you would put in your top 10 movie soundtrack, your top 10 violent movie, or a top 10 fantasy book, and uh, let me know what you think. Shoot me some top 10s, people, please, and thank you. Okay, moving on to uh, Angry Joe versus Nintendo. Uh, Kind of an interesting little sitch uh, popped up, and when it does, it usually explodes onto the scene, and this did. Uh, Angry Joe is a YouTuber who uh, apparently got in... I don't want to say got in trouble with Nintendo, but he used Nintendo games to create content put it up on YouTube, and then Nintendo said, that's all well and good, but we want a piece of the pie that you're making money off this, which is kind of ridiculous. You buy a game, you should be able to do with it what you want. Uh, So, you know, there's that. I see I'm running out of time, so I better speed through these last remaining things. Uh, There's TED Talk with Bill Gates. Uh, He talks about the next outbreak, uh, as far as disease and what have you, and... uh, he says we're not ready (laughs) and the evidence of our unpreparedness of the next outbreak is horrifying so you know maybe watch that if you don't mind being horrified and uh last but certainly not least in fact perhaps best of all of these things that i've spoken of in this internet intercourse is the nerdist podcast with guest josh gad that'd be fine right there wouldn't it that'd be an interesting episode but but also had, at the same time, tag team, if you will, Mr. Billy Crystal, who is friggin' amazing. Ran out of time. So, go listen to it for yourself, folks. It is nice to be nice to the nice. Done and done. And I mean done. Done and done. <laughs> I like Ron. This is the end of the show. A sincere thank you for listening. Time to plug some things and I do not mean. Buts. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Live long and prosper